Good Friday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into John chapter number 16 with a touch of a review from where we were at in John chapter 15 because it's a carryover chapter. So let's dive in. Father, we thank you. We ask your blessing be upon us as we take this time out of our insane schedules to be able to connect with you, to be able to learn of you, to listen to you. Lord, bless us. We'll thank you and praise you for this taste of thy precious word today. Amen. All right, guys. Beginning in John chapter number 16, reading in verse number 1 and following, the scripture says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I, st I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What a very powerful section of Scripture from verse number 1 to verse number 13. And in the first section that we face with this from verses 1 to 3 is a remembrance of what we were talking about back in John chapter number 15 as recognizing the, the issues that will come and the reason why the Helper will give them strength to be able to get through the life the, these days when the Lord, before the Lord returns, is to recognize what Jesus said, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now the Word of God is given as what we call the Bible, right? Which is the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. And these things are given unto us so that we may come to know God, who God the Father is, that we may be able to come to know who God the Son, Jesus Christ, is. We may be able to understand the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and how to respond to all three, to be able to understand the work that He's called us to do, to be able to understand all of these different things. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell us. That he's told us these things so that when hard times come, when persecution exists and when the challenges against our, our, our God, our faith, when they mount up, that we don't fall away. Jesus' warning, it goes on 
to explain to them that they'll put you out of synagogues in the hours coming that whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Well, that's a modern-day truth. You think about the multitude of gods that are being worshipped, such as Allah, over in the Middle East, where Christians would be slaughtered mercilessly in a multitude of countries, not just in the Middle East, but down into Africa and, and many other countries into Asia, that, that Christianity would be illegal. Rather, it would be an Islamic government or Hindu government or Buddhist government or whatever you would have, but that because the, the differences between these gods exist from the Lord our God, that they, they would be so offended by us that they would, they would kill us all the day long, just as was prophesied. And except in this case, he's dealing with Jews killing Christians. He's, he's dealing with the issue of those of Orthodox Judaism putting the believers out. He said they'll put you out of the synagogues. Well, of course, you know, the church for its beginning years, up to 300 years for the existence of the church, most of them did meet in the synagogue, and, and our Christianity, or the Christianity we belong to, was recognized as a sect of Judaism. It wasn't, it wasn't recognized the way that, that Rome has uh, done a great work in changing things today. It wasn't recognized as, as a Gentile religion. It was recognized as a Jewish faith that accepted Gentile believers. So our faith was recognized by the synagogues. We, you know, believers in Christ or followers, disciples of Yeshua could go into synagogue and, and pray and worship. But he said there's coming a day when they're going to kick you out of the synagogues because they're going to be so furious with this faith. And he also says that the hour is coming when whoever kills you, of course, we know uh, the martyr, the martyred saints of of our founding fathers, all except for John. So we know that Peter hung up on, upside down on a cross uh, because he didn't want to die in the same manner as his Lord upright. So he hung upside down on a cross. We know that there is word that the apostle Paul had his head cut off in Rome. We know. That, that so many others had suffered uh, persecution. James was thrown off the top of the, of the building that they worshipped in, and then when that didn't kill him, that they, they ended up doing some nasty stuff to him and killing him. Some were burned alive, some were flayed, some were ran through with a pole, the pike, and, and grie grievous tortures that ended in death. But... Uh, the reality is, is that Jesus is telling us whoever kills you is thinking that he offers service to God. When you think about these other nations today, and you think about the, the, the multitude of killing that they believe that, that the Christian, because it will not convert to whatever religion or whatever state faith is required by that country, that because you won't convert, you're an infidel, you're evil, you're wicked, you're, you're going to be subversive and try to take our congregants or our worshipers away from us. So we're just going to kill you. And many people have been beheaded by, by Islamic states. Many people have, 
have been burned alive, have been all kinds of nasty stuff. And, and, and yet, as cruel as man can be, he still justifies his actions as being okay because he's honoring his God. And that's exactly what the situation was with the, with the Jews that would then begin to persecute this sect of believers that have followed Jesus that they think that they're serving God, like Yahweh. They think that they're being honorable to Yahweh. Of course, you, you think about the time at the stoning of Stephen, who's standing there approving this stoning, but the Apostle Paul. Of course, in that time, he is known as Saul of Tarsus, not, not Paul, yet. That comes at his conversion, but that doesn't happen for two more chapters. And so he is adamant about his striking out against this sect of Judaism known as, as the Christians. And he is going full bore to arrest them, to kill them. To, it, it really doesn't matter. He, he's just trying to eliminate this, this sect of Judaism. So the very fact that Jesus, before the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, we'll call him by his name before his re receiving Christ, but that Jesus' word stands true when he says, they're going to kill you and think that they're offering God service. And in verse number three, it says, and, these, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. So, all of the issues that have come down throughout the ages have really come down to this, that because of people have not known Jesus, therefore they persecuted the, the, the people who follow Jesus. Because the people who follow Jesus seem like they've got it all together. They seem like their life is full of peace. They seem like they're, they're always being blessed. They're always being, being provided for. They're, they always seem to be better off than the rest of the people around them because their faith dictates the choices they make in their life. Now, on the flip side of that, you've got these different religions whose faith dictates the, the choices they make in their life, and their faith demands certain activities that would be found by the commandments of our God as being false. For instance, the Ten Commandments, as given to us in the Sixth Commandment, says, you shall not kill. But when you come to other faith groups that say if people will not convert, then they must die for you cannot have the, the infidel mingling with the, with the righteous as it was, it's in direct violation of what God said in this case, you shall not kill. Just because a person's different from you doesn't mean they deserve to die. Just because a person believes something different from you doesn't mean that they deserve to die. And that, that is a violation of the, the sixth commandment of the, of the Ten Commandments of God. And of course, the, the same God that they claim to have, especially I'm pointing out to Islam, that, that believes to come through Abraham would then be required that they, that they honor that Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the same God, but they don't. They have their own commandments. And so it's, 
It's really complicated when you dive into religions, but Jesus understood this. Jesus knew that they were going to be put out of the synagogues by their own by their own kind, that they were going to be hunted and killed by their own kind, and think that they're honoring God when it's just not true. And the same thing happened to within Christendom. The same thing happened for for centuries. That that one Christian faith would gain popularity with with a with a country, say, and so that country would adopt that faith as its legal faith for the country. And if you were of another faith group and you were living in that country, they could come to you, they could seize your property, they could, they could throw you in jail, they could take your life simply because you have rejected the law that says you must be this religion. That happened in Germany in the 1500s and the 1600s as concerning the, the faith that was born in, on its country's borders is called Lutheran from Martin Luther and the way that he rebelled against the Catholic Church. Of course, the Catholic Church in France, if you were not a part, you were persecuted. The Anglican Church in England, if you were not a part, you were persecuted. Uh, There's so many different places where if you didn't accept being a part of that particular state-connected religion, that the state was going to use, be used to persecute you. The same thing was true with Judaism. The very people that came to arrest Jesus were in part the temple guard. And then also with Rome, the Roman guard that would come to get him. And and so, but there are temple guard intermingled with that. So you'll find that even, even Judaism came to take Jesus. In verse number four, he said, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me where I'm going. Hmm. It's interesting that when he would come down, of course, he's already said this a time or two, back in chapter number 13, moving to chapter number 14, moving to chapter number 15. So he's already said this a few times, that that where he's going, you cannot come at this time. That's what he, what he was telling his disciples. And, of course, they're all curious. Is Remember with uh, the conversation that would happen with Thomas. Thomas said, how in the world can we know the way, and how do we know where you're going? So it's interesting when Jesus would say here in verse number 5, none of you asked me where are you going when Thomas actually was at the table in chapter 14. He says, we don't know the way in which you're going, and we don't know how, how to get there. But nevertheless... You have this issue where he said, these things I've said to you, when their hour comes, you, you may remember that I told them to you. Now, this is a very important point because Jesus is saying when the hour comes. It's not a matter of if you're going to have to go through all these things. It's when you're going to go through all these things. It's very important as we, we study the Word of God that we hold on to the Word of God because there are going to come times in our life where we face certain difficulties, where we face certain joys, where we face certain tragedies, all these different things that we're going to have to face. And this is when the Holy Spirit will work to bring the Word of God back to our remembrance so that we can hold on to His Word in those times of triumph, we could rejoice in the Lord. 
of tragedy, as we mourn, we can be comforted by the Lord of, of the intensity of facing the battle that instead of crushing under the weight of anxiety, we can hold on to the promises that God has given us to see us through. All these different events, all these different things that will happen in life can be led by the Word of God if we remember those things which we have been told by the, the Lord through the Holy Spirit as we study the Word of God. And that's the remembrance that he is calling his disciples back to. As he said, I've told you these things so that when their hour comes, okay, not if or the possibility of, but when. It's going to happen, guys. We're going to have to face tribulation. We're going to have to face struggles. We're going to have to face trials. We're going to have to face difficulties in this life. We will have victories. We will have moments to be able to praise. We will have times of great elation in the midst of all those trials and tribulations and in tragedies and all of those other things. This is this is the life that we have in a fallen world that we live in with corrupt creatures running everywhere around us. So we've got to have the Word of God as our guide, right? We, we want to, to trust Proverbs chapter number 3 from verse 5 to 8, and that we would, we would trust in the Lord with all our heart, with all our heart, and lean not unto our own understanding. We would commit all of our ways to Him so that He would direct our path. We, we want to just just hold on to the desires of our Lord that we may be of service in the time of need. And that's exactly what he's telling his disciples here is that these things are going to come, so hold on to my word. Remember everything that I've told you. And he said, I didn't tell you these things that I'm telling you now when I was with you because you didn't need to know it. <laughs> said, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. You just didn't need to know it. Jesus was going to take care of it. Jesus took these, these men as newborn babes. Remember, you come to faith in Christ, you become a newborn babe. And, and he says, you didn't need to know. I would, Jesus just took care of it. Jesus prayed for it. Jesus suffered through it. Jesus provided for it. Jesus just took care of it. He said, but now I'm going to him who sent me. <laughs> Jesus ain't going to be there to take care of it no more, as concerning on the earth in the flesh for his disciples, right? Jesus ain't going to be there to, to soothe the wounds or to, to pamper the disciple. It's time, really, John 16 tells these guys, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to to wake up. It's time for you to stand up because I'm headed back to my father and you're going to have to carry this thing now on your own. And he, and he tells him that flat out. He says, but I'm, I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked, where are you going? He said, but because I have said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. Well, now, Obviously, that's going to be the case. Sorrow fills their heart. Why? Well, in part because Jesus is telling them that he's getting ready to leave them. 
and you've been with this guy for three years. You've walked with him day and night. You've traveled the the greater distance of 100 miles or more, going to different towns, going to different synagogues, watching him heal people, watching him uh, bring up amounts of food that you couldn't even imagine possible just by a couple of loaves, a couple of fishes, right? So they've seen all of this amazing stuff. They've been provided for. They've been looked after. They've been they've they've been able to see all this great stuff. Now it's all coming to an end. Now Jesus is saying, I'm out of here, guys. Y'all better straighten up and get your heart right because I'm done. I'm out of here. And and it's it's like losing that security blanket. It's like losing losing that that comforter, literally that comforter that that you had held on to for so many years. The retirement of that psychologist that you relied on every week, but now it's not going to be there anymore. The the expectation of that that television show or of that that thing that that is not going to be there anymore it's gone off the air the the people have retired whatever it is and and just that that expectation of the regularity of being there every week or being there every day and now everything's going to be flipped upside down these disciples world is going to be is is going to be changed so drastically and changed in a very powerful way because it's not like Jesus is just packing up and going to another country. It's not like Jesus is just, you know, closing up shop and and retiring to another village or something of that sort that he's coming out of the ministry and that he's going to finish off his days just relaxing by a poolside with, with with a lounge chair. It's not that way. Jesus is going to suffer the most horrendous death that could be afforded anyone in the Roman world. And he's going to be buried. The disciples are going to have to watch all of this. They're going to have to sit there and see the suffering of our of our Savior, of their Savior. They're going to have to, to watch this death play out to the last breath and then see him get put in that tomb. So that everything they've been hoping for and everything they thought was going to happen in, in the way that they thought it was going to happen, that everything that, that they believed just completely collapsed and crumbled in a moment of time with Jesus getting put in that, that tomb. So you've got this situation of the disciples, of course, they're up in arms, of course, they're beside themselves and and there's a nervousness a nervous energy that exists among the crowd that jesus would pick up on that he would say because i said because i've said these things in verse number six sorrows filled your heart well they don't want to see any of it happen i wouldn't want vandals to come breaking into our church and 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 being crazy and doing stupid stuff taking people's lives i wouldn't want the, the law enforcement agencies that, that are not numbered or named uh, showing up, just breaking in and arresting a group of us and just dragging us off into a pit somewhere. I wouldn't want these things to happen. I, w- I would lament the day that they do happen, but we have to understand what Jesus' word is telling us is when these things come, 
you can remember. He's promising us, as he promised those, those Jews of that day, he promised us that these things are going to come. And he said, now, because I've said this, the sorrows filled your heart. Well, yeah, I, I can relate to the disciples at this point. I'm sure you can too. I can relate to the idea that sorrow would fill your heart because who in their right mind would ever want any of these things to come to pass? I mean, we want to live as, as peacefully and as comfortable and as happy a life as there is possible for us to live. And Jesus is flat out promising these disciples, no, nah, it's not going to happen for you. You're going to go through suffering. And so he comes down, and in verse number 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, when he keeps talking about going away, I think a lot of these guys are thinking, Okay, so are you, are you from another area, and, and so you're going to be retiring and leaving and going to another area? What, what, what are you talking about going away? Of course, I think some of these guys have picked up on it already, is that they know he's talking about his death. But I could see Peter being dense enough to be wondering, what in the world are you talking about going away? We're not going to let you go anywhere. You're our Lord. Where you're going, we're going. You just promised us that back in, in, in the last statement that you made in chapter 14. You said that where you are, we will also be. So forget that. You're not going anywhere. I could see Peter trying that. And by the way, it was Peter who did pull pull that sword or that knife and cut the serv- the priest's servant's ear off. That, Peter was ready to go. It was where Jesus is going. That's where I'm going. So I will give him uh, some credit to that end, that he was prepared to fight that good fight. But he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. He says, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him. So this is a one of the prime examples that I will use to, to be able to explain that at this period of time, of course, as Jesus had already said, you didn't have any need for, for knowing these things at the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going away. Well, this is the concept that though Jesus in his nature, in his bodily form is going to be persecuted, is going to be whipped, is going to be beaten, is going to be ultimately nailed to that cross and be put into that tomb. Yet the spirit inside of Jesus is then going to be set free to be able to be released into us today, into the disciples. So understand that the very spirit that is inside of Jesus is that Holy Spirit. This is the way in which Jesus was born is that the Holy Spirit entered the womb of Mary, and that precious child that would come from the womb of Mary is the very Son of God, as being conceived by the Holy Spirit from the Father into the womb of Mary. So that Jesus would reveal that during his earthly ministry and in his earthly life, that, that he satisfies the connection of the Holy Spirit to the, the believers that would follow Jesus as he was with them. But as Jesus leaves and departs to go back to his Father, then it is necessary for him to fill his disciples with the Holy Spirit as he and his body was filled with the Holy Spirit 
for the same connection with him, for the same connection that he had with his father. He says to his disciples that, the, that they will be able to accomplish even greater works than the works that Jesus was able to accomplish because the same Holy Spirit that, that indeed conceived Jesus is the Holy Spirit who seals us under the day of redemption, who indwells us and who empowers us into the service of the Lord. And so much the same can be done in this life as was done through Jesus in his day in the proclamation of the gospel and in the ways which he interacted with the different lives of people because it's the same spirit that's in us that was in Jesus. This is very important to understand what is possible for you to be able to accomplish, Christian, as you are indwelled by the same power, the same Spirit, that is our Savior. And he tells us this in verse number 7. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, now this is the work of the Holy Spirit in this life. And this is very confusing for people nowadays because in that greater majority of the charismatic movement that exists in, in our country and that has infiltrated other countries, sad to say, is that they, they claim a great deal of, of things attributed to the Holy Spirit that, that I don't personally believe really are attributed to the Holy Spirit, but that man has created these things of his own volition. The work of the Holy Spirit in the earth is about to be revealed through what Jesus is, is about to show us as a part of the work that is given under the Holy Spirit that is going to be manifest through us into this world, for that's why we are called. It says in verse number 8, And when he, that helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the three principal areas of the work of the Holy Spirit in this world is sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because the world is gripped by sin as concerning the corruption that entered through Adam and that comes and filters through all of mankind for that all have sinned. And so he's coming to convict. That word convict, it means to impress upon in such a manner as to cause them to, to be crushed under the weight of it. When, when, a, when you are convicted in a court of law, it's, it's that law of the court that is crushing you under the weight of the guilty verdict that has been applied to you, which then puts you in jail, which makes you a convict, a person who has been recognized in the conviction. And so you are called a convict. And so you find that, that conversion comes from the idea of being convicted, and the conviction that comes into you transforms you to going in a different way because you acknowledge the error of that. 
and or you may find conviction being a good thing. As we study the Word of God, we come to grips with the truth that are given to us from the Word of God, and they become convictions to us that we would never err from, that we would never deny, that we would never turn away from, because we are so convicted by the truth of, of its presence. And so, you'll see that that when the Holy Spirit comes, fills the believers, that he will convict the world through the believers. As we carry the message of the gospel, souls become convicted because the Holy Spirit in them will give them recognition of sin in their lives, will give recognition of the righteousness of God so that that sin becomes real and will give them recognition of the judgment that they're going to have to face lest they com- unless they repent and turn to the living God. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring the, the sinner to a knowledge of his sin, an understanding of God's righteousness, and a reality of the judgment they face if they don't get saved. That is the work of the Holy Spirit for man in this life. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of other things that that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do in this life, to care for people, to help one another. There's a lot of different things the Holy Spirit does aside from this these principal realities, but this is Jesus' teaching. Remember that, it's written in red. This isn't Jason's teaching, this is Jesus' teaching. And the promise that when the Holy Spirit comes by Jesus is the recognition of the work that he's going to do as concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, in verse number 9, Jesus said concerning sin because they don't believe in me. It's the conviction of their rejection that they're having to face when a Christian comes into the presence of the lost. The lost being those who are not believers in in Jesus, who, who do not know the Father and who could care less either way. And reality is, is that, that that conviction of sin is coming through you proclaiming the gospel to them because they don't believe in him. He said of, uh, concerning righteousness, in verse number 10, because I go to the Father and you see me no longer. Well, those that are convicted of sin are then made known the reality of who God is, of who Jesus is, the very righteousness of God that, that they must come in that they must face, come into contact with. And he says concerning judgment, verse number 11, because the ruler of this world is judged. And of course, if you're under the ruler of this world, then you're under the same judgment that the ruler of this world is judged with because you are a disciple of the ruler of this world. You know, a lot of people that that are running around in the world today that have not come to faith in God or have not come to trust in Jesus Christ, still they would reject being a believer of the devil, wouldn't they? They, they? they would be religious enough that though they don't believe in all of that stuff, they certainly wouldn't follow the devil. They certainly don't see themselves as being Satanist or anything else, but guess what they are? They're under the prince, the power of this of the air. They are acknowledged as a child of disobedience. If they do not come to faith in Jesus, then they are apart with the enemy. And you understand that that he's saying that 
concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, the ruler of this world being recognized as Satan. So if you've rejected Jesus, you come under the same judgment of the, as, as Satan does because if, if you're not with Jesus, then you are a part of this world under the ruler of this world, and the judgment is applied to you. So you say, well, how could a loving God uh, do, you know, put people in hell? Well, it's because people have, uh, in essence, chosen to be under the leadership of the ruler of this world. Now, that's why hell was created to begin with, by the way, guys. Hell was designed for the devil in that third part of the angels that he he got to follow him. It's revealed in Revelation chapter number 12, starting at verse number 7 and, and going down to verse number 11. <clears throat> this great war, this battle that happens in heaven and the fact that Satan loses and his tail drags the third part of those stars down to the earth. Understand that hell was created for the devil and those angels that had followed him and his leadership to try and take over heaven to assume the throne of God and kick him out of his own palace. That's what hell was reserved for. And when, when Satan convinced Eve in the eating of that fruit, and, and however the issue ended up, but that Adam ate that fruit, and the same condemnation come upon man that come upon he who led man into the same issue, rebellion to God. And so we find that death passes upon all men because of Adam's choice that, that, that we are going to die. So it's not that a loving God would, would put people in hell, but it's because you've chosen the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air. You've remained a child of disobedience, and the same punishment that is brought upon him will be poured out upon you, for this is what the Holy Spirit has come to reveal concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. My advice is repent. <laughs> repent, receive the Holy Spirit. I love this place, verse number 12 here, John 16. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you just cannot bear them now. And that's a reality that, that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to understand the Word of God as we're able to understand it, as He gives us ability to understand it. There is so much about the Word of God that none of us will ever understand. I mean, it's a, it's a treasure trove of, of the thoughts and intentions, the heart of God. And so you, you could read this book. I remember a, a testimony from, from a, a beautiful soul that, that just went to be with the Lord in heaven, said he read his Bible through more than 30 times because every time you'd read it, it was something brand new. It was a brand new book every time you read it. And, and that's the truth. You could read your Bible through once a year for, for 60 years, and it would be a brand new book every time you read it, because there's so much treasure to be mined out of the Word of God. There's so much that, that the Lord has not given you yet, even though there's so much you've already received. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I mean, you're always going to be satisfied with the manna that Jesus provides you. You're always going to be satisfied, never thirsty, 
never hungry because you're never you never could get get bored with studying the word of God. It's always going to present you something you didn't see before because the Holy Spirit provides you understanding of it as you are able to understand it. And so he comes down and he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's just such a blessing, guys, that we would consider. Now, within this charismatic movement, and I've heard this several times before, that because Jesus keeps using this word, declare, he he will declare what is mine, and and he he says and declare it to you. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And people say, "Okay, well, when you pray, declare these things to be, and and they will that they will come to pass." You got to declare these things. Well, I'm not necessarily going to say that that's wrong because the scripture does say that that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus and taking what what is belonging to Jesus and then declaring it to us. But I will say that we have to be very careful in the way in which we, we use these words, the way in which we make mention of these things, because oftentimes, in, as we, we say, well, we gotta, we got to claim it. we got to name it. we got to claim it. And when the thing named is claimed or declared, but it hasn't come to pass or it doesn't come to pass, and then we then we wonder oft, is, is God even paying attention? Or then we become convinced that God isn't real because I asked for it. Same thing as that young man holding his hand out and praying, God, give me a million dollars because it says whatever I ask in Jesus' name, it will be provided. So God, give me a million dollars. Well, now you're naming it. And you're, you're claiming it, you're declaring it to be real when it doesn't happen, so you're disillusioned. That's not the way that, that God works. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's, he's not someone that, that is to be turned to only in times of distress, break glass in case of emergency sort of situation. That's not how it works. So that we see that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. Because Jesus, though he wanted to give everything to his disciples, he knew that they were unable to receive it. He knew that they wouldn't be able to do it, to be able to understand it. Now, they barely understood the things that he did teach them. How in the world are they going to understand the things that that would come to pass after? So he says, whatever he hears, he will speak. The Holy Spirit instructs us through through the word of God direct from heaven and he says he will declare to you the things that are to come and he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you and all that the father has is mine therefore i said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you praise the lord thank you jesus father we are thankful and lord we just ask and pray that you will Be with us this day. Help us to absorb that which you would have for us to receive, that we may be blessed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what he's come to do concerning sin, concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. 
Give us, Lord, the ability to receive of the truths that were revealed through Jesus today and bless us for the opportunity that you provide for us to be able to come back together again on the corner on Monday, continuing in John 16, that we may be able to rejoice in thy word and and just for thee. God bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I pray that you have a great weekend. We will be rejoicing in John 15. We're going to go back and talk about the vine and the branches on Sunday, which is a very exciting place to be because I want to make sure that you're connected to the, the vine, making sure you're a good branch, that you're bearing fruit and getting pruned. And also that we will come together on Monday and start off in verse number 16 of John chapter number 16 and read our section down. So, very exciting stuff. The crucifixion of our Lord coming up. Get ready.